Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. This is, um, I know I, I just auto buy every day, but um, like, to be honest, I haven't logged on to this one in, in a while. I even have like auto withdrawals and stuff, but do people set like what, what, uh, exchanges or apps do people use to set bids? Can you do that on Swan or, or whatever? You can't do it on Swan. We were talking about this yesterday and Alex was like, I'm, I'm a proponent. I think the issue with Swan might be, and we'll let uh, someone that actually, or maybe Alex, but Swan is technically, I think, OTC over the counter. So I, I don't know that they can do the, um, um, you know, limit orders. I, I hate exchanges, honestly, but I do use one. It's not Coinbase, I'll tell you that, but I do use one to do limit buys so that I can catch some of these, but I didn't have any set. I pretty much spent all of my dry powder. (laughs) Hey, good morning, everybody. Morning, Nat. Can you all hear me okay? Yeah, Yeah, you sound good. But yeah, Chris, one other thing I'll say real quick, a lot of people will set if they have enough dry powder to do it, multiple limit buys kind of going down, you know, maybe every thousand they'll put in a few and kind of do a dynamic DCA to try to catch that dip. But Definitely. Yep. Yeah, if I have if I have about you know some money that I want to put in, I, I usually scale it in that same way. Like I don't just like put it all in. Like uh, I mean, it's it changes up. Like if you're if I'm doing my normal like at the front of the month, I do a bill to myself, so it's like you know you're saving. You should be whether it's Bitcoin or whatever. I mean, you should be saving you know a bill to yourself every month. Like you're paying all your bills. One of them is to yourself. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna pay this to myself that you're going to put into Bitcoin. But if I do like, you know, if you get like, you know, some, some cash you've been holding, you're going to buy some Bitcoin, like I, you know, or you're watching the market tank and you're like, hmm, where can I jump in? I usually don't just like throw it all on a number. I, I do like to ladder in because I'm trying to also protect my dry powder position. I don't want to be like suddenly out and it really drops harder and I could have got a better deal. It's just, in the end, it won't even matter, I don't think. You know, we're all just kind of playing mind games, you know, right now. But if I can scrape more sats on a buy, I feel better about it. Hey, it's kind of fun to think that you had a strategy, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretend. I mean, I, I play around with it sometimes, and I'm like, man, this is just pretend. I should probably just all put it in on a number. Who cares? But Our host has arrived. 
ant out there playing with his imaginary trading friends again. We're comparing notes, man. <laughs> I only tried. I only trade one way, though. <laughs> it's by. <laughs> man, some huge news came out this morning, like freaking massive. What was it? I'm gonna share it in a minute. Let's let some people get in here. It's it's. Uh, I feel like we are witnessing a tectonic shift in the quote cryptocurrency space shit's about to get real i've been talking about this for fucking months it's going down guys get oh, in I the lifeboat baby don't get caught on the sideline i think i know what it is and if it is what i think it is i mean i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say it but i will when it comes out don't don't guess, man. Don't ruin it. <laughs> no, I have a pretty strong suspicion. All I'm gonna say is, if you're invested in shit coins, you better get out of the fucking way. Yeah, freight train coming down the tracks right now, and it's gonna get real. Alex, don't keep us in suspense, man. Tell us, tell us what's up. Is Celsius collapsing? Is the SEC? Coming down, what's happening? I will explain in a moment. We need to let a couple more people filter in here. In the meantime, good morning and welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. We talk about Bitcoins in here. We don't promote shitcoins like a bunch of these scammers. Hmm. Boy, it's going to be tasty. Did anybody watch the uh, Heritage Foundation video with Ted Cruz and Loomis and Michael Saylor? Oh, Saylor was there? I didn't know that. Yeah, towards the end. It's like a two-hour thing, so he's in the second hour in in a panel discussion with Loomis and I'm trying to think of the other lady that started the uh, bank in Wyoming. I always forget her name, but she was on there too. What did Sailor say? It's all I care about. Oh, I mean, you, you know, he he's. It, it's funny because it's kind of related to what you're probably going to talk to us about. He's definitely for regulation. He definitely thinks that you know a lot of things that are you know not considered securities are. Um, you know, Cynthia Loomis obviously talked about their legislation that would put most of these altcoins um, under the SEC with, uh, and they would have to pass the Howey test. But anyway, I'll stop there. I'm more interested in her not saying that Bitcoin belongs under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. Like, no. I was really. You know, I was really disappointed in that. Like, you know, no, she thinks that it should. Right? Are you saying that? Well, that's what she said at Bitcoin okay. 2022 when she was doing her talk. She's like, Bitcoin is a commodity and therefore falls under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. She still believes that. That's what her legislation is. She doesn't understand the fucking difference between yeah. a derivative and a layer one asset. A layer one asset is. Okay, let's back up. CFTC, what does that stand for? 
Anybody know? Commodities, future trading, something. But yeah, I don't know. Commodities, futures, or commodity futures trading commission. Keyword, futures, meaning futures contracts on futures contract exchanges. What is a futures contract? It is a derivative. It is not the underlying asset. It's a bet on the performance of an underlying asset. It is not the underlying asset. So between the SEC and them, who who do you who would you who do you think should be? How about nobody? Well, I agree. Of course, nobody needs to regulate Bitcoin. Nobody needs to. I mean, the fucking idea that human beings think they need to regulate Bitcoin is the problem. That is the problem. It 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 has look the 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 big the big discovery the invention right. This is like the discovery of, of how to harness electricity. The big invention in computer science was solving the Byzantine general's problem. What is that? That is removing the wickedness of man from the financial equation. That is what Bitcoin's done, among other things. There's many amazing aspects of Bitcoin, right? But probably the one that is the biggest advance for the human race is it removes the wickedness of man problem. And these people want to go back and they want to regulate. What does regulate mean? It's another word for government's permission. Control. Which yeah. is another word for control, which is right back to where we were before. They're missing the entire fucking point. It doesn't need to be regulated. Like, you know, this thing about regulators wanting to control every fucking aspect of what every human being does on the planet is crazy. It's gotten to the point where at Davos, they're talking about how to monitor your individual carbon emissions. So what? They want to measure how much you're farting and breathing every day? Are you fucking joking me right now? This is how insane the regulatory bullshit has become that they even think that they can get away with that. It's just mind blowing. It's the wrong direction. That's, that's what I think about that. Every time I hear licensing and regulation, what I hear is centralization and government control. What happens with licensing? Professional licensing. Like if you're a doctor, Oh, by the way, you can't actually have an honest conversation with your patient anymore. Cause if you do, we will remove your license. Yeah, and then they strip more and more away from your, right? It starts out right. really broad. It, it, it's and, the same is true. Anything that has to do with your income or your business or your finances, it is government permission, which also means government control. It's just fine as long as the people in government are perfect fucking angels. But what happens when they're not? It's fucked up. Excuse my French. If you're new to this show, it's an adult show. We do say things like that every now and then. They say it so casually, too. Like, you know, the way that they just let this out of how they want to track everybody. You know, it's like funny in the jokes, like in the, you know, these these comedies or, the, or these stories that we see with, with villains in it, heroes and villains. And the villain always gives away the plot, like the plan to the, to the heroes are like, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this. And it's it's that's the vibe that I get from these guys. They're just sitting up there on stage telling us exactly like what well, they want. Telling to do. You, you're you below them. You're below their level of, of 
existence, right? They're flying on the private planes. They're district one. You don't, you don't count in the same category as they do in their minds. They feel that they have the right to monitor you and control you like that. Like this, one of these execs from Pfizer was basically saying, we are developing the technology to notify the authorities, quote, authorities, when you have taken your pill. And if you have not taken your pill, authorities would know. And in the same fucking conversation, he's like, imagine the compliance. Well, guess who the compliance is designed for? All you fucking peasants, not them. I'm feeling very 1776 all over again. Like, this is like, it's like our generation's 1776. We had these dudes on here from Trammell Venture Partners, and it was yesterday. I don't know. All these days are kind of flowing together. We were talking about that. That's what it feels like right now, to me anyway. Some people are like, oh, 1776, that's like a you are got to be some kind of radical terrorist to use language like that. How about fuck you? That's how our country was founded. Alex, have you read uh, The Fourth Turning by Neil Howe? I have to admit I haven't read the whole thing. I've read parts of it. I have this problem when I read books. <laughs> one of my, one of my uh, bad habits is I, I read like six books at a time and I bounce back and forth between them because... It's a focus issue. Listen, I get it. Like I, I hate reading as well, but I do it because I kind of feel like I, I need to continue to educate my brain. Uh, but listen, I'll tell you, I, I got the the book on audiobook, and it it literally blew my mind how well they predicted, you know, cycles between like 1990 and basically 2020. And the premise of the book is that sometime between 2020 and 2030. You know, we go through a political and social and very likely economic revolution that's just going to change, you know, everything for the next generation, right? And you're talking about 1776, you're talking about new beginnings, potential for, you know, some really weird, crazy shit to happen over the next few years. Like it's, it's seems like it's absolutely in the cards. I mean, everything's lining up politically, socially, economically, whole nine yards. I don't know. We'll see. I, I am still hopeful that Bitcoin is the people path forward through all of this nonsense. And it's happening very quickly. The, the, the rate of adoption in Bitcoin continues to accelerate. And I think it's going to rip the freaking, it's going to rip the face off of people. What we're going to see in the next two years. As the shitcoin casino starts to disintegrate, and I think it's coming over the next year or so, the world is going to be like, okay, well, maybe there isn't going to be a Bitcoin 2.0. Maybe Bitcoin is it. What is this lightning thing? Oh, my God. You're trying to tell me you can send any lot of amount of money around the world instantly at zero, almost zero cost? And there's no transaction limits. You're telling me, like, theoretically, if we get enough nodes rolling that, like, you know, there could be millions or however many transactions per second we want. I think there's a high probability Bitcoin is the backbone 
of the revolution that's coming. That's, you know, the, the fourth turning, right. The, the new thing that's going to change the world. Like for, for sure, I think Bitcoin is absolutely going to be part of that. Uh, the sucky part is what does that mean that the rest of the world looks like? You know, B- Bitcoin is, is more than likely going to be the bright spot in the future, but the macro backdrop of how shitty everything else is going to be in order to make that happen is going to suck. Right. I yeah, mean, thank maybe. God. I don't know. I don't know. Look, there's always challenges. Every generation has its challenges. You know, can you imagine being the guys storming the beach on D-Day? Those guys had it pretty rough. I'd rather be a Bitcoiner. God bless those guys. I'm just saying. Every generation's got its challenges. We need it all, like, you know, put on our big boy pants right now. Get on the damn mission. Spread this word. It's either that or it's going to be a mess. I ain't looking forward to the mess. Yeah, Alex, I'm with you. I'm not looking forward to uh, carbon footprint tracking and uh, my electric car shutting off when uh, <laughs> I, I use too much carbon. Not going to be not looking forward to it. Right? That's some bullshit. I mean, they won't be dealing with that. The district people, the district one people won't be dealing with that. They'll be flying around the world in their private jet. But you, you peasants. Yeah, you, you can't drive that far. It's not okay. Shut your car off. We're going to take away your metaverse. You're just going to have to be really depressed in your pot all by yourself because we're going to turn your metaverse off. I know, I'm exaggerating. I know I'm being hyperbolic right now, but it's just like, geez, man. These people. Anyway, let's move on. Here's the big news. And we have been talking about this. For months, guys. Wall Street Journal today. Investors have filed eight class action lawsuits related to cryptocurrencies so far in 2022. One of which is arguing that 79 tokens listed on Coinbase are unregistered securities. Some of these spinning up are no doubt related to this massive multi-double-digit billion-dollar loss with Luna UST. This is just the beginning. We were talking about this in our, in our macro session with, Swan, with the Swan private guys yesterday, or was it the day before? I don't know. It was this week about how class actions are going to start getting spun up over this stuff. And these guys don't have a foot to stand on. Why? Because of the Howey test. The, the defense that they're using is not going to work, I don't think. Uh, a little bit more info on this. This is from the article in the Wall Street Journal. U.S. laws impose meticulous regulations and burdensome disclosure requirements on issues and intermediaries. Intermediaries. We'll come back to that in a second. That sell securities, a category of assets that includes stocks and bonds. They also create potentially crippling liabilities for anyone who skirts the law, who's an intermediary. Exchanges, Coinbase, Kraken, Binance. Oh, maybe anybody who's promoting them. I don't know. That's an extension, but I could see them getting named. Looking at you, BitBoy. Looking at you, BitBoy. And rug pal. Yeah. 
Well, they definitely said it. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Alex, that they, in a different article that I read, they definitely called out the uh, influencers that got paid, if you will, to promote some of these are in jeopardy of also being named. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Look, when you file with the SEC, you have to actually name the people that are promoting your securities. And they better hope to God that they have securities licenses to do this, the proper licenses to do this, or that they're a registered broker-dealer. And if they're not, they're breaking the law. Alex. Go ahead, DJ. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say good morning and then also ask you, in this article, um, have they named the specific, uh, quote-unquote, assets that they're going after? Like which shit coins? It, no, it it doesn't matter. Like that to me, that's that is a red herring. That's drawing attention off the actual core of the argument. The core of the argument is that every single fucking shit coin out there, in my opinion, is an unregistered security. Why? Because they had a pre mine. They gave those coins coins away to insiders. Then they sold it to retail. They raised capital and they spent the capital building the business and the people that they sold the coins to have an expectation of a gain. That literally is by definition, the Howey test. And they promote it that way. They always they, like I, everyone I've ever seen. I, I can't think of the shitcoin promotion that I've seen that that wasn't about, you know, raising the, the, the return back to the investors on it, buying this thing now for the future gains that this product is going to have. 100%. What's the difference with Bitcoin? There was no pre-mine, guys. There was no, there's no central authority. There's no board of directors. There's no insider devs that were gifted coins. There were no, there's nobody that got paid coins from the central authority to promote Bitcoin. You know, that's a clear difference. We promote Bitcoin because we believe in what the fuck it's going to do, not because the CEO of Bitcoin is giving me Bitcoin for talking about it. I mean, shit, if I'm owed Bitcoin for talking about it, I'd like to know who the fucking CEO is, please. Can I send an invoice? I am Satoshi. Okay, Nate, you and I are going to have a talk after this. (laughs) How you doing, brother? Good morning. You sound fired I'm up, freaking, friend. I'm, I am fired the hell up because we have been talking about this. I have been pounding the table about this. It's happening, guys. To determine, here's more from the article. To determine whether an asset is a security, regulators and courts apply a four-part test developed in a 1946 Supreme Court ruling over orange groves, known as the Howey test. It involves, number one, an investment of money. Number two, in a common enterprise. Number three, with an expectation of profits. Number four, derived from the efforts of others. Yeah. Did you ever see um, the clip of Sailor and Rao Pal? And they were like talking, and Rao kind of seemed completely confused by. By, by, the, by the rules of uh, the Howey test. He's like, oh, those are outdated rules. He's like, no, those have been laws for over 100 years. He, and you could definitely see that, you know, Sailor's definitely more of an operator 
where I don't want to say Ryle's more of a speculator, but I guess that'd be a good way to describe it for uh, macro investing or whatever he does. And like Sailor's like, no, if I were to do with what you are doing right now, I would be like getting a you know knock on my door from the SEC. You know, he's like, I can't just promote micro strategy stock, even though I'm like the CEO and on the board and stuff. That's considered like you can't do that. So yeah, it's just it's crazy. It's a very good clip up. Yeah, unless you have very specific exemptions, right? Like if you if you operate, uh, look, I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on it. The, the the point is that I think there's stuff coming. Why? Um, this is the argument, right? I'm going to read further. Crypto advocates say that once a token's underlying network becomes sufficiently decentralized, its value no longer depends on the efforts of an entrepreneur or manager. So it shouldn't be considered a security. So in other words, once we've dumped our bags on enough retail investors and enough retail investors own it, then somehow magically the thing is just going to continue on its own without the efforts of the insiders. Really? Like all of these tokens that are pegged, right? How does that work? I don't Dude, think so. Gonna, just about DAOs, bro. <laughs> yeah. So I have a dumb gonna, question. Probably. We're going to restart the network, guys. Everybody stop trading for a second. We're going to restart the network. <laughs> I mean, what does it take for these guys to like go, quote, like go legit? Like, why don't they just, I mean, what, what is the big barrier to, to registering and becoming the broker dealer, like doing it legitimately? Like, why are they risking all this to, to go with their shit coins instead of just, because they're 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 pocketing tens of millions and in some case billions of dollars, man. I mean, there's a huge monetary incentive to do this for these guys. They and want money printer. And I would argue, I would argue that offshore. monetary incentive is the entire point. Like, if you think about it, the only reason to not develop your amazing, world-saving idea on Bitcoin is because you want to make more money off of it. In my opinion. Prove me wrong. Bitcoin removes the platform for the charlatan, the snake oil salesman, and the th and the thief that shitcoins provide. There are no margins in Bitcoin. There is. It's just you and me, brother. That's it. I agree to this price for the good or service you provide. There's no middleman. There's no margins to be had. It's just free enterprise and. You can't make money off that. You can't be the middleman. Well, what's interesting about these class actions is, is they're going to do what the SEC has not been able to do so far. They're going to wreck some of these guys. And, um, yeah, it's just going to be used as essentially case studies, I think, for, for what's coming in the future. Colby, did you have a, something you want to add? Well, just, just that most of these shit coins are offshore from what I understand. So it's much easier instead of going through the regulatory framework of compliance, seeing as shit coins are, <clears throat> are um, scams, you know, the charlatans that they are, it's much easier to just go offshore and rug pull everyone, isn't it? Uh, no, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that because they're 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 doing their their business through the exchanges, right? If they want access to the United States capital markets, they're doing it through U.S. based exchanges. Those exchanges are making a market in unregistered securities. That's what the lawsuits are about. 
So Colby, the, the SEC uh, claims jurisdiction over American citizens and residents, no matter from which country in the world you're selling um, to United States. So if you're if they're incorporated in Cayman Island, but are selling Ethereum or whatever to any American resident or citizen, then SEC uh, claims that, you know, or they say that's our jurisdiction. They don't let you sell. You need U.S. permission to sell any, anything to anyone in, in U.S. So um, it might be harder to go after them, but I, I, I would not uh, be messing with the SEC. These guys are in trouble. I'm Alex, with you. You don't have a link to the article, right? That's not, that's not what I'm, I'm not saying that they don't fall under the jurisdiction. I'm saying that um, the SEC is not enforcing the securities law against these shit coins and, and they haven't done so. Right. So um, that's why they're facing a class action, which may have that effect of, of, but the SEC hasn't really stepped in and regulated them. I don't think the SEC has the resources to go after every shitcoin. We're like going down. We're going down rabbit holes that are going to waste our time now, because we've had these discussions many, 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 many times, and I don't want to rehash it. Because, for okay, let's just summarize it for people who are new. Right, it's it, it's exactly what Jordan said. Number one, they don't necessarily have the enforcement. Look, there's there's over ten thousand shitcoins. You trying to tell me that they're going to have the the lawyers necessary to make the cases against every single one of these things. I don't know. 18,465. Okay. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, it's, uh, they've got all the VC money and all the lobbying, you know, you've got all the money behind XRP and all the money behind Ethereum and all the money behind you name it, lobbying in Washington, DC to create legislature that basically obfuscates the truth that these things are, are, are centralized. They're all centralized. That's the key difference They're, They have controlling people involved. So everything else in my opinion is pretty much just semantics. I think the day is coming. Um, I'll make a final little thing from Gensler. I don't know how he's going to pull this off, but this is what he says. They know, he's speaking about the exchanges right now, that most of what they have on their platforms may well be securities. This is May 18th, about a week ago. And that they should move towards getting registered or we're going to be the cop on the beat. We're going to with the enforcement actions. We'll see. But uh, I don't know. I think class action lawsuits hitting these folks is going to be a lot more painful probably than what the sec can do right now go ahead nate well i was gonna bring up some good news if that's okay by all means i think we have talked about that topic enough and if you want to switch it we can awesome um i don't know if you guys are aware there's a new there's been a bill in the senate and there's now a companion bill in the house for the financial freedoms act which will enable you to have your self-directed 401k to hold bitcoin just like it would gold or any other thing. It's still under custody, but it is, you, you can do it now through your, you will be able to, I should say, in your 401k as a self-directed 401k. That's cool. I mean, I don't know that we need somebody to write a law to do that. People are already doing it now. 
We got tons of 401k IRA. By the way, we don't talk about that a lot, but we can do that at Swan. Self custody, I think, is the thing is the key there, but I could be wrong. Well, he said still under custody, right? It's, yes. it's yeah, it's a self directed. Um, but I mean, this is this is for tax structure and all that kind of other crap. But I, you know, I I am absolutely in the the mindset of self custody and all that beautiful uh, Bitcoin noise. Well, I'm just with Alex on what he was saying. Unless it actually makes it absolutely clear and legal to self custody, you can already have your you know Bitcoin in a 401k or IRA. So this um the language is it it's very specifically ambiguous into the point where it's talking about all assets, all like kind of those kinds of purchases. It's it doesn't specifically say Bitcoin. But it it leaves the door open for anything, basically. That's cool. I mean, I, it goes back to what we were talking about before. In that, um, I feel like we don't need the government's permission for all of this kind of stuff. It's getting to the point where we're we're almost at a post-regulator age for these kind of things, in my opinion. Because it's like, what are they? You know, it's like it's like the blessings. You know, the, the cloth and the robes and the holy water and the sprinkler and the scepters. Well, I'm going to sprinkle some holy water on your on your thing. So you're now you're good. You're you're allowed to do this. How did we get to this point? Who the fuck are these people? I can, I guess, think of one use case here, whereas like if you're not with one of the 401k providers who has said that they're going to let you hold it in Bitcoin, let's say the the 401k provider that you have at your job isn't one of those. And they're like one of these dinosaurs, old dinosaur that isn't going to do Bitcoin, whatever, or hasn't done it. But then maybe they're afraid because they don't have a law or a framework that's saying that they can do it. And so they don't want to be that outlier. But then now, because of this new introduced law or framework that, you know, potentially... I mean, you can't just like easily change 401ks unless you leave your job. You have to have like a separation event in most cases. And so if you could now get exposure, I mean, isn't that a good thing? Well, you can't change 401ks if it's tied to your job, but you have full control of your assets. They may not tell you that because whoever your employer is partnered with, they've got a good thing going. And whoever's managing your assets, that's how they make their money. They don't want to lose control of your assets. So they're not going to tell you that. I mean, it's not like you erase your 401k with your employer if you move your assets. I mean, you have to talk to them about it, but you own that stuff. That's your property. Yeah. I don't want to get in the weeds <clears throat> offline on that. But I mean, if you're saying that even without all these laws and regulations, like I could have called up my job's 401k and been like, put it in Bitcoin. I you, see what you you're offering online, but I want in Bitcoin. No, because they may not have the rails to do that. They may not have the expertise to do that. They may not know how to do that. But you can say, and it, it's going to vary case to case. You're going to have to dig into it and figure it out. But you can say, hey, I want to move the assets in this retirement account to a different retirement account. It's your stuff, guys. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, you'd have to move it to an IRA, I think. All right, so it. here's the okay. Here's the really quick basics, and then we're gonna let Peter go because he's actually done all this. <laughs> um, you create 
a retirement account with a different IRA custodian than the one you're currently using or 401k, whatever. Right. So in, in this case, Swan IRA through prime trust. All right. Once that's created, the assets at your current custodian get liquidated into cash. You don't get the cash. The cash goes straight from that account over to the Swan IRA, which by the way, is under full IRA custodial law, all that kind of stuff. It's still considered a retirement account. So you're not taking a distribution and because it remains basically in the retirement account system. It's all, there's no tax event guys. That's interesting. I'm I'm going to shoot you some DMs about that. That's interesting. You use that cash to buy Bitcoin and then you own Bitcoin in your IRA or your 401k. Lots of people are doing this right now and it's going to grow bigger. We haven't like promoted it big time at Swan because we're still streamlining it and, and tuning it and fine tuning the product before we go big with it. But like people are doing it right now. Go ahead, Peter. So, I, I mean, without actually understanding the language of this bill, I, this is a little, I, I think this is a little suspect. I, I, I cannot imagine that this is a, is, is a, it just seems like this is not a positive thing because with a self-directed IRA, the way it works is you can invest, you have an invest, it's a, it's called an investment uh, vehicle. And so basically you can invest in property, you can invest in gold, you can invest in whatever you damn well want to invest in because the IRA is an investment. It's a self-directed, excuse me, investment IRA. Um, Because of McNulty, you can't, you're not supposed to uh, control, uh, have direct control over these um, over these assets without a custodial in between. So for instance, if you've invested in some property, you know, in a rental property, for instance, you don't have direct control over that because the bank holds the deed. Um, you don't hold the deed. So I don't know. I think this is, this, this sounds suspect to me because like you said, Alex, People are already doing this. They're they're already allowed to do this. I don't know why they would name these this specific yeah. asset. Do you, do you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of all these sort of regulations and laws that are being passed in different countries saying, okay, it's okay for you guys to use Bitcoin. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? People are already doing this. They're already doing it. They don't need your like holy water scepter sprinkling of approval to, to use Bitcoin. They're already using it. It just it, it it blows my mind that this group of people, the District One people, think that they somehow have been granted by God with the power to determine what they're allowed to do. Kind of pisses me off just a little bit, just being honest. I agree with you, Alex. I just think that there's still a lot of people who are like who won't move unless they have something like that. Like they, they're afraid to move unless the government tells them it's okay to. Well, particularly in legacy finance. Now, this is where we just start talking about institutional money. Like, we just saw this, right? I think it was uh, Visa MasterCard. One of the VPs from Visa MasterCard over at Davos was talking about, well, Bitcoin adoption is going to happen way freaking faster than you people think. Because people kept asking, apparently, on different panels, hey, is SWIFT going away? Like, what's going on? Like, the world is changing so fast. We don't even understand what's happening. And those guys are like... Well, there has to be more clear regulations before 
um, you know, the execs of large corporations are being are going to be willing to move on these kind of asset classes. Meaning, and we talked about this yesterday or the day before, the old guys in the freaking company don't understand it yet. But that's because they're under the jurisdiction of governments that can pretty much wreck their businesses. Individuals have a completely different set of circumstances and risk profiles and, and ways to operate in terms of Bitcoin that makes us very sovereign. Go ahead, Anders. Uh, yeah. Um, regarding regulation, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, we, I think most of us want less government, but in terms of regulation, I think what is, is kind of key is uh, countries where they don't want to tax you capital gains on number go up means, you know, the price of Bitcoin goes up in terms of dollars or whatever currency. The countries like El Salvador that let you use it as a money and say, of course, we're not going to take some of your money. If your money goes up in value, that's just good for you. You have more purchasing power. But I think that's that's what's really kind of key and important um, and, and to us. That and, and in Europe, actually, there are several countries that don't have capital gains on uh, Bitcoin, uh, like Germany, Portugal, Switzerland, I'm sure some of the smaller ones, Luxembourg and Liechtenstein, Monaco and Malta as well, they don't uh, capital gain tax your, your, your Bitcoin, and neither does El Salvador, of course. Yeah, but see, okay, I don't know if you guys are, are, this is what I see, like if I were to look at all the different things that are happening and do a little connect the dots game where I'm like drawing a picture, right? What I'm seeing is the entire ecosystem is being driven from the grassroots level. It's individuals that are driving this. That's filtering up to companies. That's filtering up then to governments. And this is the game theory of Bitcoin. And it's happening in real time. We're watching it happen. Like we have this, you know, Swan Advisor Services. What's it about? It's about providing a platform similar to Schwab or Fidelity where financial advisors and registered investment advisors have a platform where they can bring in all of their all of their clients basically and buy bitcoin because they don't know how to do it why are they doing why are so many of these FAs and RIAs interested in it because their clients are demanding it same thing with JP Morgan same thing with Goldman Sachs the clients are demanding it like, it's not like District 1 people want to do this. They're being forced to move because the clients, the people, the people, the plebs are demanding it. And so this this tug of war between Draconian, we're going to tell you, all of you peasants, what to do. And we're going to monitor your farts and your emissions and tell you when you're allowed to buy groceries and exit your pods and walk down the street. Because if you go too far there might be a pandemic lurking around the corner that's going to fucking jump out of a dumpster and infect you. There's just this tug of war going on. And, and I see the whole thing being driven from the ground up. Just my opinion. That's like anecdotal, like my observation. Go ahead, Peter. I, I just wanted to, to make a correction that the Germans do charge um, capital gains tax, but not if you hold for longer than a year. Yeah, that's still really good. <laughs> how do you, I mean? How do you even? How do you even enforce it? Like when Bitcoin starts to become used in transactions, how many how many billions of transactions occur every single day on this planet? How the fuck is anybody going to enforce that? 
Tell me. So somebody give me a plausible explanation about how that's going to work. There's no doubt, Alex, that uh, Bitcoin now already is seeing a circular economy where, um, you know, things things are not uh, being filed in terms of, uh, you know, and it's and, and it's outside the the system and is not being taxed part of that circular economy. Um, so, but the way they enforce it is, you know, if you're trading on exchanges that they have the numbers, you know, that's all fed to the IRS. But but the circular economy where people are just trading peer to peer is yeah. um, is growing exponentially, and and then that's not be, a lot of that is not being reported. I think. So, so I just okay. So so let's say you know for for anything under let's call it five hundred dollars, right? There's little transactions that go on all the freaking time. You're trying to tell me every single lightning node operator is going to report all that stuff. No, that's what I'm telling you exactly. They won't be doing that. I mean, not only will they not be doing it, how the hell do they track it and enforce it? Like, that's an entirely different ball of wax, man. The The, the whole reason for the VAX passport, the movement license, the, the global digital ID, the CBDC, is because then they can track and control you with compliance, one of their favorite fucking words. By the way, I hate that word. That word started coming around, you know, FATCA, you know, around 2010 when that shit started happening, you know, when every financial institution in the world now needed to have a compliance officer so that everybody was compliant with what District 1 wanted. Enron. Some bullshit. Go ahead, Peter. I just perused the the Coindesk article that uh, Take the Ride put in the, the nest and it deals with 401ks, it looks like, not uh, self-directed IRA. So uh, yeah, I think it allows you to self-direct within the 401k. If you look at the bottom of that uh, tweet chain, I put the direct link to the amended uh, language altering the Security Act of 1974, which is what this proposes to do. Um, and you can like it. It's very lawyer-ish in its language, but it's it's. It's so ambiguous that it's literally saying anything can be put in the IR in the four hundred one k now. Well, so that's 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 a different thing than a self directive. That's that's actually beneficial because, and and I wonder if that's just regulatory in the sense that now um, uh, advisors can Peter, can do what, that. Once, let me just read the last part here. The diversification requirement of paragraph 1C, whatever, and the prudence requirement of paragraph 1B are not violated by the fiduciary selection of a self-directed brokerage window as an investment alternative or as a result of the exercise of a participant or beneficiary's control over the assets in which self-directed broker in such self-directed brokerage window. So it's it's like it's being it, it's very set up that way is what i'm saying okay we're gonna move on new subject let's hit announcements yep. really quick and then there's a uh, one other thing that i wanted to tackle in this morning's news before we uh move into the second hour second hour today by the way we've got justin ballard from jai energy i don't know if they say jai energy i don't know how they say it but very exciting they're one of the largest uh Bitcoin mining operations in the state of Wyoming, and they are doing big things, guys. This whole thing about the energy industry and mining converging is happening, 
And it's happening at a very deep level in a lot of the largest companies, energy companies in the world right now. More about that in a few minutes. Good morning and welcome. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. If you've never been here before, we talk about Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours. Great place to get your morning news. Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds of Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. It's also a podcast. It's up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin to follow. Be notified of when those drop. Hmm. Something new. Hang on. I need to find this because I don't have it handy. Ah, here we go. Some really cool stuff coming up. There is a new show that's about to launch. It's called Hard Money, and the host is going to be Natalie Brunel. It is a new show from Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine. It's going to be one of the highest quality Bitcoin shows on the planet. We actually (laughs) have been setting up a studio in California to do this for the last mm, three months. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's uh, Michael uh, Oceans and Brecky. They're really heading that, and it's going to be an incredible show, man. Okay, and then uh, finally, Swan Bitcoin. Uh, I work with Swan in the Swan Private Division. If you want to know more about that, you can shoot me a DM. Anybody doing substantial buys of Bitcoin, you want to do it with a Bitcoin-only company. You want to support a Bitcoin-only company. Plus, you want to get access to our deep bench of experts who can talk to you about everything from inheritance planning to self-custody, multi-sig, just anything that has to do with Bitcoin. If you don't understand it, and you want to understand it, we will give you one-on-one time as much access as you want to our team to figure that stuff out. You can shoot me a DM if you're interested in that. Okay, moving on. Next thing in the news. You know, we have this marker that I call we're over the target, sir. <laughs> so apparently, um, Lagarde is out there again trying to shit on Bitcoin <laughs> and crypto. I have a um, a clip of her uh, getting roasted that I want to play. So give me some advertisement for us. I mean, like the best, the greatest, huge. Yeah, this is this is awesome. So uh, give me some. Uh, tell you what, let's look at our available symbols here. Give me a hand wave if it's not loud and give me a peace sign if it's perfect or good, good volume. So here we go. Is it just me or I can't hear a thing? Yeah, no, I that's can't hear anything. <laughs> Damn it. It's definitely not too loud. <laughs> too loud? Cannot, cannot hear anything, Alex. If you want yeah, to no, uh, I said it. send it over here, you know. Yo, Alex, you got the Pop Track P4? Yeah. I heard you're, uh, yeah, enjoying that. He doesn't like Mine it. He, he doesn't like his. He wants to get the new thing. Yeah. You know, the, the USB thing, it the Mix Minus, it, it works when I don't want it to work, and it doesn't work when I want it to work. <laughs> Are you a boomer? I'm I'm on the verge of being a boomer, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm just behind the boomer generation. On the verge. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I'm like when you're behind, I think. Um, I am. 
Yeah, hey, 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 hey. Um, in my defense, uh, I was on the internet when we had fucking twelve hundred baud modems. So screw you guys. Um, oh, dude, yeah. Alex, I'm getting the pot track P43 after, of course, listening to the excellent advice from producer Jacob. So maybe we get we can help each other, man, making this uh, tech work. No, look, it works. It works great. Um, I just I'm just a monkey with this stuff. I'm gonna get a roadcaster though. Hey, Jacob, grab that link. You see it in the team chat? Uh, yeah. Give me just two seconds. Okay, so just, in the yeah, yeah, just fill fill the airtime while we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I think a support group is a good thing, Alex. You and you and uh, Andrew should get together on that. God, what what did I do to deserve this kind of this kind of roasting? Um, uh, okay, so, so uh, we're we're ready and uh, let's fire it up. So you're just gonna yell at me when you want me to turn it off. Okay, I'm gonna that I'll preface it and then and then All right, she's you just, like, you let me know. See, but cryptocurrency is worth nothing. There's no underlying asset. And this is this this is the FUD argument, guys. Remember, you only need an underlying asset if your derivative of the base money is worth shit. Okay? And a lot of people are confused about that because fiat money today is has no underlying asset. It used to. Back when the U.S. dollar was backed by gold, there was a thing called a gold certificate and a silver certificate. You could literally walk up to the U.S. Treasury, hand in the certificate. They would have to give you physical gold and silver for those notes. If you look at a U.S. dollar today, what does it say on the bottom? Federal Reserve note. What's a note in financial terms? It's an IOU. It's a promise to pay. Promise to pay what? If you walked up to the United States Treasury today with a United States note and said, give me what you owe me for this thing. What do you think is going to happen? The District 1 police are going to escort you off the fucking property. That's going to happen because they're going to think you're a lunatic. Why? Because it's backed by nothing today, guys. Nothing. And all fiat currencies operate that way. So roll with the clip. Christine Lagarde's getting fucking roasted in this thing. I love there it. There is this graph about the balance sheet of the European Central Bank and the money that is on there now. And here it is. What I would like to uh, show our viewers and, and ask the question about is, this is going over 8 trillion euros now. Mm -hmm. And isn't what you just told us about the um, cryptocurrencies, don't we see a gigantic bubble here on your balance sheet with the euro? And isn't this graph very nerve wracking? Well, I can tell you that there is zero crypto assets in the balance sheet of the ECB. That I know. Uh, point number one. Well, I just don't want any ambiguity about it. Yeah. But you have to think in terms of counterfactual. If we had not decided on March 18th, when we put together the pandemic emergency program and then subsequently increased the volume of commitment that we made to the European Union economies, we would be in a devastated situation. So I don't regret any of that move that we took on that day, which was four months into my job, to significantly increase the size of the balance sheet because that's all we had. Yeah. Otherwise, the economy would have collapsed and it would have been even accelerated by a financial crisis. You had to do it. It was so, the COVID crisis. You say that's yes. what we needed to do. But how do you get it It will back? come. It will come. In due course. Yeah. How? In due how? course, it will come. Yeah? No, but do you I sleep will... at night when you see this? Of course I have to sleep at night. And I have to worry every morning. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Over here. I was wondering, do you own any cryptos yourself? No, I don't. 
because I um, want to practice what I preach. And then... Uh, I know how it works. And I, have, I actually have a son who invested in cryptos, yes. So I, I follow very carefully. And what have you taken away from that? That I would not put my finger in there. <laughs> and he didn't listen to your advice? No. No. He's a free man. He is, yeah. Did he lose a lot? He wouldn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the thing that I took away from that clip is, you know, the District 1 people are here to save you because you're all a bunch of peasants and you're too dumb. You're too dumb. We're here to save you guys. Just making sure that's clear. But her son's a free man and he can he can play with cryptocurrency and he can play with with cryptos, but but they're gonna protect the rest of us. But he's a free man. This is the same woman that said the other day that old people should just kill themselves for the benefit of the children. Wait, what? Yeah. What? She suggested euthanasia for older people because we're overpopulated. Are you serious? Dead serious. I think she should volunteer then. Um, she should be the first to take that medicine. <laughs> if that's what she wants, go for it. Yeah, okay. But see, here's the thing you got to remember, Anders. You still, you're still missing how this works, right? All of this stuff is for the peasants. It's not for the District 1 people. The District 1 people have a different set of rules that they go by. Yeah, it's never for them, right? Never so her, her answer, her answer to how are they going to get rid of the uh, the balance sheet is troubling at best. I mean, yeah. she said it will come. She had no answer for that. It was just just no answer whatsoever. It will come. Yeah, okay, you got to you, you got to watch the video. What she doesn't want to say what she doesn't want to say because it would freaking terrify people. Is we're going to do it by inflating the shit out of the stuff. Right. There's there's two options on on government debt. When when your debt to GDP levels reach a certain point, there's only two options. You either default or you inflate it away. Okay. And the inflating it away thing is where they get the whole you will own nothing and be happy. Because it's an extraction of wealth process from everybody, the entire world, into the hands of District One. They can't actually say that. Exactly. And, and, and she started off the thing by saying that, you know, we had to do this. We had no choice. The, the, the world would have been wrecked. But the only the result of this is the world is going to get wrecked anyways. It's just going to happen later rather than sooner. Yeah, it's going to happen in due course after we after we basically remove all the wealth of you peasants through inflation and transfer it into the hands of district one, then it will be all okay guys. Yeah. Once everybody gets wrecked and people die and like we lose a bunch of the population from murders and everyone's wealth gets wrecked into nothing, everything will be okay. Well, not everyone, because as Alex was saying yesterday, Bill Gates is buying farmland. BlackRock is buying, is buying housing. There's people that are moving towards the smart money is moving towards hard assets. Yeah. That's how it works though. You know, that's, that is the game literally, right? The cancel on effect as, as assets increase, they can liquidate, they can use the cash to buy hard assets. When you, when you go into these kind of currency collapses, that's the trick. That's what you do. You invest in hard assets. 
what is Bitcoin? I would argue it's the hardest asset that humanity has ever seen. Hardest, most pristine, scarcest asset, probably in the universe, unless somebody else has come up with uh, the same protocol somewhere else. You mean Bitcoin 2.0? The, the shit no, 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 no. I don't mean Bitcoin 2.0. I mean, if if another if there's another intelligence somewhere in the universe and that other intelligence has discovered Bitcoin, whatever they call it, whether they call it Bitcoin or whatever they call it. But I mean, you know, it's it's that's the only because there's only 21 million of them. I can't think of anything besides anything that is um, not a conscious being. Um, that is that only has 21 million in the universe. I mean, it's the scarcest thing in the universe. <laughs> as far as we know, you missed that that show that we were doing the other day, where we were talking about like Congress was actually discussing the presence of aliens, and uh, <laughs> we had this funny we had this funny uh, scenario, make believe theory that like the aliens are showing up now because we've discovered Bitcoin, and they're trying to figure out if the monkeys are going to blow themselves up with nuclear weapons before they actually transcend to a, a galactic species or not. It's kind of like a a game show. A reality TV show. Okay, so what a uh, what a discussion. Um, to kind of reset the energy in the room a little bit, because Jacob is on the back channels complaining, saying we're a little too doom and gloom. We need to be happier. <laughs> we were pretty sarcastic. Okay, to me, it's sarcasm. I have a lot of hope for the future because of Bitcoin. Excuse me, sir. Do you have a permit for that hope? I don't think you have a permit for that hope. You need to register. (laughs) I need to apply for a license to have hope. Well, according to certain people at District 1, you're not allowed to be happy unless you've already been um, removed from all your property, right? Okay, moving on. I think we beat that thing like a... Yeah. Um... What a room to walk into, huh? Um, where, where's uh, t- today's special guest? Today is uh, Justin. Do we have Justin up here? Yeah, we do. Good morning, Justin. Yeah, what a room I'm, to walk into today, huh? Yeah, no. Um, I got on about five minutes ago. I just left my son's uh, elementary school graduation, and uh, yeah, I was like, "Well, shoot, man, I'm gonna get ready for the uh, apocalypse now." <laughs> you guys are actually out there actively building for the future. Like uh, what you guys are doing is really flipping cool. I was checking out some of the stuff on your website. You know what I've noticed? Because I was talking to a guy who energy yesterday. Um, and, and he works in their demand response technologies group, which is kind of, I guess, responsible for um, how do you spin up uh, and shut down enough power at peak times and non-peak times, all that kind of stuff. And that that closely integrates with um, Bitcoin mining, interestingly enough. Now, the thing that I've noticed, Justin, about guys in your industry is that really humble, like some of the most humble, hardworking dudes that I've come across, like salt of the earth kind of guys. And uh, I'm super excited to talk to you today. So thanks for stopping by, man. This is where you say, yeah, cool, man. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. 
Oh, yeah, sorry. I was on mute, man. My bad. I was actually talking. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it's all yeah, good. I'm just saying, is, is that, I agree with the uh, humility comment. And that, that kind of comes along with working in uh, commodity price-driven environments and industries. So, um, I worked in oil and gas for a long time before I got into the Bitcoin mining side. And, you know, it's very similar in these kind of cyclical booms and busts. And, yeah, you, you can get humbled real quick. So you just kind of learn to carry that with you. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Like, um, I don't know, I'm just looking at some of the pictures of these trucks that are rolling out with these huge <laughs> um, rigs full of, uh, do, they, do you roll them out? I mean, I know we're getting a little past the intro part already but i'm just no, excited right. about it. do you roll them out full of miners or do you install the miners after these things are on site how's that work no yeah we install them after they're at site um it's too much too much capital at risk you don't want them falling off the, the racks and all that so Ooh, yeah, we that get makes sense. And, yeah we, we get our whole our whole team out there and and we're all loading miners up and and moving on never thought about go. that Never no, thought about no. that. It makes sense though, because if one of those things is full of miners, right, and it's being transported, if that truck something happens to that truck, I get it. It's kind of it's almost yeah. like transporting gold, only oh yeah, it's Bitcoin miners. <laughs> right, right. I I would actually rather uh, transport uh, bricks of gold that way than I would those miners. They're they're more valuable to me than a brick of gold right now. So, um, you know, I it's a it's a tedious process, and it's a lot of you know manual work involved with it but it, it's it's all worth it and yeah like you said we're trying to build for the future and uh i've i've successfully orange pilled my soon-to-be fifth grader so uh he's going to be out there helping us load stuff up before too long outstanding the next generation of bitcoiners these people you hear this terminology where people are like an internet or a technology native right and uh this next generation coming up are going to be bitcoiner natives like they're growing up in this environment, they're going to know how to install mining rigs and how all this. Stuff oh, a hundred percent, man! And, and they're also going to be able to transact with it. It's this is I've actually talked about this before, but um, as goofy as this sounds, and I hate comparing Bitcoin to like V bucks or Robux, uh, but the what what I am comparing it to is the ability to transact with. Uh, a currency that is something that they're not holding in their hand, which seems to be an issue for a lot of the like boomers, right? Is I can't hold it, despite the fact that even they, the vast majority of them, do not actually hold anything but a credit card, right? Or a debit card for the most part. Um, yeah, but exactly. the, you know, kids growing up, like my son, he'll play Rob, he plays Roblox or or uh, Fortnite, and you know, they they transact within kind of electronic currency we call it whatever you want um they transact with that on a day-to-day basis and it's very normal so and this, like, transition, yeah 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 it's it's it actually makes more sense to them to transact that way than it would to go take cash and figure out what they're paying with and so um or what they're paying for so i actually i mean there's going to be a tidal wave when it actually the full adoption really starts to occur and I don't. I don't think we're very far away from that. No. How old is your son? He's ten. He's about to turn eleven. But um, yeah, right. he's he's a young guy. But like, I'm serious. I mean, I, I watch him playing Fortnite sometimes, and the way they just fly through and load stuff up and and transact on that is they're sending uh, V bucks back and forth to each other, and 
yeah, it's just it's going to be a very normal thing for them. So, like five to ten years, man. The adoption, we're going to see a tidal wave of adoption. Oh, yeah. Tidal wave. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. If you look at the use case uh, by demographics of like who's using Bitcoin and what they're using it for, um, predominantly, obviously, it's it's millennials and and then uh, you know some Gen X, obviously too, but millennials and Gen X and, and even Gen Z that are starting to. Um, it's a lot bigger percentage of the demo, of that demographic that's using Bitcoin. And when we get that transfer of wealth from the baby boomers to Gen X and millennials, which is going to occur over the next you know, five to 10, 15 years, the influx of that capital, which is the largest transfer of wealth that's ever occurred in history, is going to be enormous. And I think you're going to see some serious hyperbolic growth in Bitcoin uh, price over, over that next you know, obviously, we all all on here agree with that, but I think there's there's probably not enough talk about that transfer of wealth and then the demographic breakdown of what people are investing their money in based on the generation that they sit in. So, um, yeah. I think yeah, I totally agree. I think it's gonna be enormous. Also, all the younger folks who get it are orange pilling their their boomer their boomer right the boomer generation right right right. Now, I am already seeing a lot of capitulation from. Uh, the boomer generation folks that I talk to that are freaking out because Bitcoin's price, you know, dropped so bad and they bought when it was at, you know, 45, 50,000. And I'm like, look, this is just part of the process. Like you need to buy more now. You know, they kind of freak out a little bit, but you get, you got, I've, I've met more and more that are getting the whole thesis behind it um, rather than just looking at, you know, buying it from a FOMO standpoint. So, Yes, even the even the boomer generation is starting to come around. Awesome. So talk to us about how do you guys say it? J A I energy or you say J I energy? Like how do you guys refer to yourself? Oh, we actually say J energy. Um, but you know, I I my wife has called me a lot of worse things than what my name actually is. So if you guys call it J or J I I'm, I'm not gonna get offended. But yeah, it's we pronounce it J energy. Sweet. All right. Tell us about J Energy. Like, how did this thing start? What do you guys do? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'm, and I know this is a bad word for some people, but I'm an attorney by trade and by background. Um, and I come from the oil and gas space. I was general counsel at a couple of different private equity backed uh, EMP operators that I helped start up. And for you, for those of you that don't know what EMP is, it's an exploration and production company. So we'd actually go out, explore for oil and gas, and then produce it by drilling wells and bringing it to market. And uh, the last company I'd helped start, it was up in Wyoming, and we had a wildcat well, which is basically kind of a newer area that's unproven. Uh, We drilled a well out in a wildcat area and brought it online, and we could not get a pipeline in there for any type of economic rate. And so uh, I had seen an article about Steve Barber in a paper up in Canada. And um, we thought, you know, Ryan Leachman, my, my co-founder and, and business partner, uh, who actually recently left, but, you know, that's that's a whole nother thing. He's still my, my best friend and my brother, and there's nothing like, no, no bad blood or anything, just getting that out there. But uh, he and I were sitting around and, and looking at, you know, hey, this is probably the only option we have that we could uh, get rid of our flare gas because Wyoming has some pretty strict flaring regulations. 
Uh, and so to Ryan's credit, because nobody at an oil and gas company is going to listen to a lawyer talk about uh, what we should do on the operational side of things. To Ryan's credit, he came in and was like, hey, this is the best way to keep this well online. Uh, let's go ahead and do it. And so we ended up being the second company, I think, that uh, Caruso ever did a deal with. And we got one of their units out there on our site. And and uh, we started you know, operating that because they didn't at the time have anybody operating for you. You just kind of operated it for yourself. And uh, I was doing some back calculations on on what we were making from, or I guess what Caruso was making from a uh, MCF standpoint. And I, I, back calculations was coming out to about $7 in MCF. Well, at the time, we could only sell gas for about a dollar in MCF. And so I was just like, wow, this is incredible. You're talking about a 7X on what you could do from the revenue side of things with your gas. And so I, I was like, hey, look, I want to start raising money, try to do this you know, myself. And Ryan and I got together and we're like, you know, let's go after that. And and uh, it did take probably a little bit of orange peel. And Ryan, he at the time was not uh, a Bitcoin guy. I was. I, I've been really buying Bitcoin since 2014. And so I, I was already, you know, orange pilled. And, and I worked on him a little bit. And he, I mean, once he kind of dug in, he's one of the most analytical guys you're going to meet. Uh, he really understood it quick and just got on board fully and, and he has become the maxi of all maxis with Bitcoin. So um, we ended up getting some money together with some kind of wealthy individuals in Wyoming and, and went out and uh, built, started building a site. And we've now become the largest Bitcoin miner in the state of Wyoming. Uh, we are using natural gas uh, to power that mine. And we're at about 146 petahash right now. Yeah, we're looking to grow. Obviously, it's what I'm on here is we got that deal done in Texas with Texas Pacific Land Corporation and and Mawson Infrastructure Group. And uh, we're going to be building that 120 megawatt site out there. It's, it's actually four separate sites. It's uh, four substations, 120 megawatt, two thirties, and a and a forty. And um, yeah, we're hoping to have that all online by the end of the year. And yeah, just really looking forward to getting into Texas. I, I live in Texas, so I'm pretty excited to have some operations coming online down here. Get to stay home more, huh? <laughs> right, right. Uh, now, you know, Ryan and Adam, uh, our other business partner, they've handled most of the operations, the vast majority of it. So um, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that I've been handling most of those operations out there. I'm, I'm the lawyer, and and you know, I got to do the deals. I, I can't get my hands dirty, I guess. <laughs> it's really cool um congratulations on all the success that you've had so far congratulations tpl that's a huge win man talk to us about tpl like uh, many people who are listening may not know but they yeah. are possibly one of the largest uh um uh, i guess landowners in texas that that controls the mineral rights to a lot of these a lot of these properties tell, tell us about that Right. Yes. TPL um, is incredible. Um, yes, they are one of the largest landowners, the, the, the largest in the state of Texas, one of the largest in the country. Um, they are publicly traded. They derive almost 100 percent of their revenues from oil and gas activities that are on their property. They have about 900,000 acres in the state of Texas. And uh, so they are a major player in the develop the oil and gas industry out there. They uh, basically the, the Delaware Basin and the Permian Basin are 
the premier oil plays in the United States and one of the most uh, prolific ones in the, in the world. So there's a lot of activity that's on their property and they derive a lot of royalties and also uh, water, water um, disposal uh, revenues and, and just a litany of different avenues to create revenue in their portfolio. And so um, they, they also have a lot of substations situated on their property. And so they had started getting calls from people just kind of sniffing around, trying to figure out how to get on the property with them. Well, coming from the oil and gas industry, I had already done uh, a lot of deals with TPL in the past and, and interacted with a lot of their staff in the past. And in fact, one of the guys over there, Kevin Pierce, is uh, he was the director of land over there at, at TPL. And he and I started talking after he saw that I started Jay. And and he just kind of let me know, like, hey, we're, we've been getting some inquiries from different groups, some of them very strange, a lot of uh, Chinese companies also that were just kind of sniffing around and, and they just were not real sure on, on kind of what it was about. And so uh, really over the past, you know, nine months or so uh, I spent a lot of time orange peeling them and they just kind of picked it up and ran with it and recognized that, Hey, this is an opportunity for us to get involved in something that could be really an enormous value driver for them in the future and uh, to their credit, they picked it up right away and were like, look, yeah, we want to do something. So uh, why don't you guys help us put something together that makes sense and gives us a little bit of exposure to, uh, you know, the opportunity to put some capital towards Bitcoin mining. And so that's what I did. And I, I also had met Mawson and some of the guys over there, Liam Wilson in particular. And we just hit it off right off the bat. And, um, you know, once I got the power capacity under contract, on those TPL sites, we thought, you know, this is, this would be an excellent opportunity to kind of marry two companies that got similar visions and very aggressive and, and, uh, it all worked out. And so, you know, we organized it to where, uh, Mawson is going to be the operator and TPL and, and Jay will have the opportunity to participate in the entity that they're forming to kind of run those operations. And we also will be getting like a, a portion of the profits from the, from the mine regardless of whether or not we participate. And so, you know, for the next, you know, hopefully 10 to 20 years, they're going to be putting together some very competitive and attractive operations out there that we're going to get a profit off of for the next, you know, uh, 10 to 20 years. And, but I think the big thing about TPL that I think people should understand is that the influence that they have in the oil and gas world is very significant. And, as we all know, energy companies have access to some of the cheapest power in the world, and they really haven't gotten into the Bitcoin mining space as a as an industry on a on a significant level yet, except through flared gas opportunities. And that is because, in my mind, they are very hesitant to apply capital dollars towards just a purely we are Bitcoin mining because we believe in it. It's more of a, hey, we're doing this for an ESG stand, from an ESG standpoint, we're dipping our toes in the water, and it will help them eventually get into it on a much bigger scale. But right now, we haven't seen anybody before TPL get in and say, hey, we recognize the value in Bitcoin, and we're going to apply capital dollars to this in order for us to get exposure to it and start putting some Bitcoin on our, on our balance sheet. And TPL... I cannot speak for them, right? They are, they're a separate company, but 
they do have that opportunity and they have expressed, and that was a very major part of the deal was them having the opportunity to get in and participate in the mining efforts with Mawson and with Jay. It's so pretty it's fantastic for industry. Yeah. yeah the, entire, the entire thing is pretty amazing. Are you in the Austin area? I'm in, I'm in the Houston area, actually. Okay. Um, I love the Austin area and I'd like to get over there at some point, but my daughter's in high school and uh, you know, my wife is, uh, she's much wiser than me and she's probably very, she's very hesitant to move her during high school. So I end up spending a lot of time in Austin. I would love to move over there at some point. Right on. Um, so one of my clients at Swan Private is a big landowner in Texas. <clears throat> and uh, he lives in the Dallas area. And uh, he has, like, him and a bunch of his friends are involved in, like, mineral rights ownership with big tracts of land. Yeah. He actually asked me if we could get together with you guys. So I'm oh, glad yeah. you came on the show. <laughs> he wanted to do something with Trammel and you guys later. So let's let's get into DMs and we'll get into conversation about that later. Oh, um, and see what, yeah. Um, yeah. But what's fascinating to me is the the motivations in the industry, right? Number one, you've got just the flat profits you can make. Number two, I don't know if you heard about Exxon Mobil that is planning on rolling out um, mining off of their mm -hmm. uh, flared gas properties in four countries. And yeah. the article that I read said that they believe that they're going to be able to reduce their overall greenhouse gas emissions by 63% by mining, by mining Bitcoin and using up the flared gas instead of flaring it. Right. Right. Do, that, that, are my numbers uh, wrong? Is it something like that? What's, what do you no, think? No. Yeah. Now it, it's going to be a project to project and company to company and kind of, you know, how how what the situation is with some of that gas because there's different btus and you know there's different things that are going to play into like how much they can actually uh use for bitcoin mining and and therefore how much their emissions are getting reduced but yeah in in fact something that you know i wish i would hear more of is the the not just emissions overall but methane methane's a bigger issue than co2 and the methane reduction when you're burning it via these gin sets on site and using it to power a Bitcoin mine, um, you're reducing the methane emissions by like 98% in some cases. So it's, yeah, that overall number is, I, 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 that does not surprise me at all. And I think that's very accurate. Um, and honestly, everything Exxon does, I know people on the left in particular, the, the climate activists would totally disagree, but um, they are not going to be, be reporting that number if they have not really looked into it. And, and uh, that is uh, in line with what we find and with what you're going to find most experts agreeing with that that's a reality, that number's real. And that's something that uh, is huge. And it's, you know, when you talk about Bitcoin and the energy usage, like that's something that you would think that a lot of the climate activists would be like, look, this, this is a huge huge benefit for the the climate and and their goals so it's something that they should wholly embrace and uh and really make them realize that bitcoin it can cure and solve a lot of issues we say that a lot bitcoin bitcoin solves solves this bitcoin solves that issue and i think we're going to be moving to a situation where you're going to end up having regulatory bodies in the oil and gas industry not allow any type of flaring because there's almost no use or no reason for it at this point. There'll obviously have to be exceptions uh, at some point, but the vast majority of emissions from oil and gas flares 
should be and will be eliminated because of Bitcoin. Yeah, which is fantastic, which is exactly the opposite of the argument that some of these um, ESG green energy people are trying to make against Bitcoin. There's this paper that just recently came out. And and, and what's exciting to me about this is it's the energy industry itself that's refuting these bullshit arguments that these politicians are coming up with. It's fantastic. There's this paper. um, It's called Quantifying the Potential Impact of Bitcoin Mining on Global Methane Emissions. And in this paper, it's it's saying that um, one of the big misconceptions is that burning methane releases CO2, which will increase our carbon emissions, when actually, according to this article, the reverse is true. It says that both CO2 and hydrocarbons like methane contribute to climate change. However, over a 20-year period, methane has 84 times the warming effect of CO2. Right. Um, and that that combusting methane or, or uh, to generate power actually decreases their emissions by 84 something times. I don't know. It's a lot. It's like yeah. 3,100%. By when I say combusting, I mean using it in generators to power Bitcoin. Right. Which you would think, right. That And those, those are facts, right. That is based on all the research and the, and looking at, uh, how these things, how the methane, what comes out after, on the other end after you're burning it. So this is something you can actually measure, right? And with that kind of proof behind you, the, it shows that this is a completely hypocritical um, argument when you're looking at what a, a lot of the climate activists are doing. And, you know, I don't mind saying people like Elizabeth Warren, this is more of an attack on Bitcoin than it is on what Bitcoin can do for from an environmental standpoint. And even if you take it further and look at the argument of just it's using so much energy, we're talking about a worldwide network, right? On, uh, that That is what Bitcoin is. And so we need to stop comparing it to things that are not worldwide impacts. We need to compare it to things that, that are similar situated um, businesses or industries or or act in the similar function, which is the banking industry, Visa, MasterCard, and what kind of uh, footprint and, and environmental impact they have. I haven't seen anything that really breaks that down yet, but I am, I want to, and I am very confident when you start comparing more of an apples to apples situation, it's going to be much closer to like, hey, look, this is actually a wash or Bitcoin even comes out ahead a little bit. So yeah, you know, I, I know that's just an opinion, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think some of the best arguments are going to actually come from energy producers in the space, starting to mine Bitcoin. Let's hit some announcements real quick, and we'll continue with the conversation a little bit. Have some more questions. We'll let the panel start asking questions, people from the audience, etc. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we talk about Bitcoin. It's a great place to learn. We do this every day. I, I apologize. My my wife called while I was on there and it cut me out. No worries, man. We'll keep rolling here in just a second. Um, as, as far as Cafe Bitcoin goes, like we do this all, all the time. Monday through Friday, we do it 7 a.m. Pacific to 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours. We talk about all things Bitcoin. Uh, it's also a podcast. It's up on Spotify. It's up on Apple. Everywhere that you can get your podcast, you can throw me a DM. I'm sorry, a DM. 
a follow <laughs> if you want to be notified. Also, Swan Bitcoin if you want to be notified for when those drop. Mark your calendars in November. The Pacific Bitcoin Conference is coming up. This is going to be a fantastic event. Bitcoin only. Everybody, of course, is welcome. But we're going to be talking about Bitcoin, not those other things. Finally, I work at Swan Bitcoin with Swan Private. If you want to know about Swan Private, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to talk to you about that. It's basically a one-on-one concierge kind of service. If you want to take a large position in Bitcoin, don't quite understand it yet, want to learn more, this is an opportunity to get direct one-on-one personal access to our deep deep bench of experts that will answer all kinds of questions uh, that, that you may be wondering about. How do you buy Bitcoin? Why do you buy Bitcoin? What kind of positions should you take? What's the market probably going to do? Inheritance planning, custody issues, um, hardware wallets, all that kind of stuff. We're here for you. You can shoot me a DM if you want to know more. Also, if you own a business and you want to put Bitcoin in your balance sheet, Swan Bitcoin is a great way to do that. Some of the fastest onboarding in the industry. I've seen it happen as fast as 48 hours. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks, depends on paperwork and stuff. But I've heard horror stories other uh, platforms taking way 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 longer and if the current events uh continue to play out the things that we were talking about this morning in regards to these other platforms and unregistered securities swan's probably a much much better platform to use that's just my opinion all right let's keep going Uh, i believe shane's got a question go ahead yeah justin hey uh, thanks for joining uh my question's related to your announcement with TPL, if I understand it right, that's all on grid, if you will. And I know, mm-hmm. obviously, you've talked about, uh, you know, flare gas and all that. Does TPL also have, um, or it sounds like they must have um, oil production on the land that's under their control. Do you expect in the future that you'll do uh, flared gas mining as well with them? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. They have... I mean, with 900,000 acres and the uh, level of oil and gas activity out there is it's yeah, there's tons of opportunities. And, um, you know, right now, obviously, gas is exploded. Uh, I've worked in oil and gas for a long time and I've never seen these type of prices. Um, so it's uh, it's a unique environment we're in right now, because even getting on grid at this point is getting very expensive. And um, so. There's going to be a much more, in my mind, this is just my opinion, there's going to be a bigger emphasis now on finding things behind the meter and also these large-scale, scalable flare sites. And those are few and far between, to be very honest. Um, You know, the the narrative with flare gas is, you know, the Bitcoin mining, like we're going to build big Bitcoin mining companies from flare gas. And a lot of times we talk about the overall number uh, of of MCFs that are flared on a daily basis. The reality is there's very few flare sites that you can actually scale as a miner on. And so uh, when you find those opportunities, those are going to be very, very valuable going forward because you're actually going to be able to get to a much cheaper price than what you are on grid right now. Now, I do believe in the future, the oil and gas activities uh, is going to pick up. Um, there's a big delay in how long it takes to get new production online. And that's something that this whole energy crisis kind of situation that I think we're going through and that we're going to go through for a little while longer. Uh, it's due to years of lack of investment into new oil and gas activities. It's not something that you can just 
changed on a dime. And a lot of that I attribute to the, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but the ESG Nazis out there that have basically attacked the oil and gas industry and made it to where oil and gas, if you're participating in oil and gas, you are, uh, you know, you're evil basically. So that kind of rhetoric has led to the situation we're in um, because companies did not want to expose themselves to be targets to the, the ESG kind of uh, parade of, of negative rhetoric around them and attacks on their market caps and, and really kind of going at, after the public markets to prevent them from getting being investable. And so that led to them tightening their belts and not wanting to go uh, spend capital on new projects. And so now we're in the situation where we're going to slowly see the rig count go up to bring new production online. Um, but once that does, you're going to see a capacity issue on the pipelines. And so these flare gas opportunities uh, are going to become uh, more prevalent and more available, but you still are going to be competing with people wanting to get stuff online when they can sell gas for $9 in MCF. And that that's a much more, uh, that's something they've done for years. So it's easier for them to, to put capital towards a pipeline. Um, versus, you know, putting capital towards Bitcoin mining. But um, so I do believe TPL is going to be a, a perfect situation. The relationship we have with them is going to help us in the future kind of identify those opportunities for flare gas uh, that are actually scalable because they have so much activity on the property. Fantastic. I'm actually a big fan these days of going on the offense, you know. All oh, the yeah. nonsense but arguments about, um, you know, Bitcoin mining is going to destroy the environment and it's a waste of energy and all this other kind of stuff. I don't like, well, you're an attorney. I'm sure you get this. I don't like fighting on their battleground where they get to define the uh, the terrain, so to speak, that you fight. Screw that. I say go, yeah. go at them instead. Oh, I agree. We got to go on the offensive. And I, I've talked about this a lot, too, is that. You know, the oil and gas industry, we sat back for too long and just let the other side say what they wanted to say. And and they built this kind of momentum of of uh, negative rhetoric and FUD against the oil and gas industry. And by the time the oil and gas industry woke up and realized this ESG uh, front has really attacked us and is making some inroads and in damaging our, our ability to raise funds that then we can use to go, you know, develop more projects. By the time they woke up to that, it was too late. And the ESG kind of narrative had made a foot, a strong foothold and, and it was tough to overcome. And so now they're having to kind of appease it. And, and I don't think, I do think the ESG movement is going to lose a little bit of its power because we're in the energy crisis that we're in. And it's, a, it's a squeaky wheel. It's easy to you know, say, hey, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. When we have all this free money being printed and thrown around the economy, well, now that this is being kind of curtailed, and and you got the quantitative easing, and you got the uh, interest rate hikes, and and all the rhetoric around that, and now you're going to start feeling these prices at people's homes, like the power bill going doubling from what you paid over the last two years. That's a traumatic uh, impact to families everyday lives right and yeah that is going to lead to hey look this has gotten out of control the gas prices have doubled and they're just going to continue to go up 
And um, th these are all direct impacts on the people that should have and can have the loudest voices, which are the middle class and the lower class. And so that's going to happen. That's It's inevitable. And so you're going to see uh, the ESG narrative, I think, kind of lose some of its power over the next year to two years if these things don't turn around pretty quickly. Yeah. And, uh, and and that's not to say that, that we and from the oil and gas or energy industries are not uh, expecting and demanding responsible uh, production and, and doing it in an environmentally friendly way. And that that's a misnomer too. It doesn't have to be a you're with us or against us kind of deal. It's like, let's work together to come up with some uh, kind of standards that meet the, the uh, need to be conservative with our environment and take care of our environment and do things in a good way, in a environmentally friendly way. But again, sorry to get political about this. When we had the Biden administration earlier this year, going to OPEC and asking them to increase their production when they don't have the same environmental standards that we have in the U.S. When you look at California, my good friend Mike Umbro, which I encourage everybody to look up and follow on Twitter, he's incredible. Um, and he talks about it a lot. I can't remember the percentage, but it's it's well over the majority of the oil that goes into and is used in California is coming from the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador. And so it's like, guys, this is we are better served as a world to have the U.S. be the leader in oil and gas production and yeah, to have a sure. bigger share of it because sure. we are going to do it in a much more environmentally friendly way than what our counterparts around the world are doing it. It's 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 not just that. It's the entire, um, you know, the appeasing strategy will never work, ever. And the never reason does. why is these are the same people that want to know what they want to know every single transaction that you're making right. they want to have they want to measure your personal carbon footprint they want to know all about your farts and how much you're breathing they want to know whether you took the pill or not they want to have these things that you can you can ingest and we'll send a wi-fi signal to the quote authorities about whether you took the pill or not and they are all flying into davos on their jets to talk about this stuff same, it's the same kind of group of people that are that are uh, driving these kind of things. People just need to wake up, right? Well, and, and they are, but unfortunately, it takes these type of crises for people to wake up. And you know, we think it's bad here. Uh, we have no idea what it can get like, and um, what I think we have the potential for it to get like. I don't think we've ever for the vast majority of us like on the phone or on the Twitter spaces right now, I would argue that most of us, if not all of us have never lived through what I think we're about to go through. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic with my rhetoric, but um, you know, just looking through history, when you have the convergence of the factors that I think we're looking at from a worldwide standpoint and the economic conditions that are um, about to happen, we haven't seen anything like this since probably world war two. And that is even actually before World War II and what caused World War II. And so I think that that is what we have the potential to head to. Um, we really haven't felt the impact of the food crisis that I think is coming down the line. Um, I think it's right around the corner, but uh, I don't think we've started to feel the real impact of that yet. And so that's going to be the next domino to fall in my mind. And again, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or, or a doom and gloom guy, but it's just a reality. And 
you look through the history of civilizations and we like to think that, you know, it's not going to happen or that was the old days. Uh, we as societies and as modern day societies have not been around very long in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, you know, what's interesting though, is that the cycle that you're talking about that does repeat, right? You have global currency resets basically every 20, every, I'm sorry, every 80 years or so, right? There's this right. cycle that mankind goes through. And what is unique though, what is unique is the greatest asymmetric trade that humankind has ever seen. And that is Bitcoin. Completely it's, it's agree. Not, it, it cannot be overstated to me. I agree. How powerful this is. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like the discovery of harnessing electricity. It's like going from being cavemen to figuring out how to build fire. I mean, it's a massive, massive level up for mankind that a lot of people haven't figured out yet. Right. I, I completely agree. And that actually brings to mind what uh, I was going to mention is I, I give, and I know there's still going to be people that question uh, El Salvador and, and, and why they do what they do. I am a, big fan and have no reason to believe that um, they are not doing this for the right reasons, um, which is basically they're at a point of desperation where this was the only solution was to move to the Bitcoin standard. But what that does for people around the world, and you know, we saw uh, last week or the week before when they had 44 countries come in, and a lot of those countries are smaller countries that have dealt with similar situations economically to El Salvador those are the ones that are going to end up leading the charge from a global scale because they, they are at a point of desperation and that's 100%. where we're going to get to a society as well. It's going to, it's going to bleed down to the individual and there's going to be a continual awakening of, wow, this is a solution for what is going on. And this makes sense. And you know, the, the inflation issue we're dealing with here, you look at it and it's bad. It's terrible, but, a lot of the worldwide inflation is actually due to the United States and the European Union and what we have been doing with our currencies. And honestly, predominantly the U.S. We are basically the world's reserve currency at this point or the yeah. dominant currency around the world. And when we go and we print, you know, whatever, five trillion dollars over the last two years or whatever it was or more than that, even um, the impact that we're having not only on our own economy is, is negative and from an inflationary standpoint, but when you think about the other countries like El Salvador that were completely relying on the dollar, you're printing all these new dollars that at least they stay for the most part, the vast majority of it in the U.S. So that our economy that is completely propped up by circulating uh, fake dollars back and forth without any real uh, manufacturing capabilities or anything that we're truly really exporting out, um, it, it's, it's it, at least we get the benefit of it staying here. When you look at El Salvador, they deal with that huge inflationary pressure now from the creation of all these new dollars, but they don't get the benefit of those new dollars coming into their economy. And so it's like a double, double-edged sword, a double whammy, and they feel it even more so. And so you're going you're to see the world get to a point where these countries just are like, we cannot be susceptible to the whims of uh, the United States or other countries and the impact that their economic decisions make on our country. And so it's going to be, I, I just think there's going to be a cascade and a domino effect as more countries just recognize like, hey, look, we don't have another option. This is it. Yeah, they they have nothing to lose. And when you have nothing, oh. nothing to lose, like it's so bad. Like 
it's so bad for these countries that like they don't care anymore. I mean, you look at Nayib Bukele, the way the, his kind of journey, right? He's mm. basically given the bird <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. to the Western world's financial system. He's like, screw you guys. The IMF is right. like, you're naughty. We don't approve of what you're doing. He's like, I don't care. I don't yeah. care. I'm doing it anyway. Why? Because they're just done. They're done. And it's the game theory of Bitcoin that you're seeing play out. And it's not just the smaller nations. I mean, Russia came out just a month or yeah. a month and a half ago, whatever it was. And, and Russia's like one of the largest countries in the world, right? This is not a tiny country, Russia. They're like, hey, we don't like being cut off from the international monetary system. We don't like the fact that the United States is really controlling the payment rails for the world. It's not right. fair. Right. So if you want to buy energy from us, you must pay in rubles. Or, by the way, if you're friendly, you can pay in Bitcoin. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's inevitable, to be honest. And I'm, I'm actually going down to El Salvador next week, and we're trying to uh, continue the conversations we've had with their government about trying to get some mining operations going down there. Um, and I'm also I'm interested in trying to see if we can actually get them uh, to invest in opportunities up here. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of what they're doing. I think it's huge for the industry. I think it's huge for, uh, you know, Bitcoin mining, but Bitcoin in particular. And so um, I'm, I'm excited. And I, I, despite the negative kind of outlook and how things feel right now, I'm very hopeful still for the future because of Bitcoin and because I think that it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And so... Yeah, uh, especially when you look from the oil standpoint, is like you know, oil basically replaced gold as the uh, you know backing of the dollar, and for the same reason that Russia's looking at like we don't like the U.S. controlling the, the payment systems around the world, um, you also are going to have a ton of countries which they already are. And Saudi had talked about this not very long ago about taking uh, the yuan for oil sales instead of the dollar, and so. That's a big, big deal because this minute that that changes to where Bitcoin, which it makes total sense for Bitcoin to basically replace uh, the reserve currency behind oil, it makes total sense for Bitcoin to be that. And for Russia to kind of insinuate that and then Saudi be open to taking different currency for uh, oil, I, I think that is a major, major signal for what will happen in the future as well. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. I mean, for the longest time, decades, really, ever since 1971, when when the U.S. dollar was removed from gold, mm -hmm. the gold right. was removed. The, the right. gold removal was closed, so to speak. Ever since then, the petrodollar has been the thing really backing the United States dollar. Not everybody gets that, but it's a huge, no. huge change. Major, major change. So. Yeah, sorry. I guess I probably got off on a tangent from the <laughs> to talk about J and TPR. It's all good. So I apologize. It's all good. Love it, man. People need to hear this stuff. They need to understand it. Okay, we got about ten, 10 minutes left. Show. Let's go with some questions from the panel and the audience. If you're in the audience, you want to come up and you want to ask a question, you are welcome to come up. Um, in addition to that, if you want to ask a question in text, you can join our Telegram group. That's t.me forward slash. Cafe Bitcoin Club, t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Peter, go ahead. So quick commentary and then a question. Uh, commentary is uh, 
great job, Justin, reading the room, coming in and preaching to the choir. Nobody, nobody dislikes hearing any of that. Um, my question is when, when you, when you first came in, um, when you were first talking, uh, you were talking about the boom and bust cycle of the oil industry and knowing the, and because of your experience with that, 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 that lends to your ability to, um, manage the company that you're, that you're with. And I'm curious to know, uh, if you could expound a little bit upon the, the boom and bust that maybe some of us don't understand and also how your company is going to positively, um, either positively impact that or be able to, uh, utilize, um, that, that boom and bust cycle to, um, uh, become uh, more profitable. Yeah. So uh, are you referring to the oil and gas boom and bust or the Bitcoin kind of? Well, it sounds like it sounds like they're really intertwined. And that was what I got when you started talking about it a little earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's really intertwined. And I'd like to know some more of the mechanics of how it's intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, two things from a business model standpoint, it's oil and gas exploration is very similar to Bitcoin mining. You have a well bore that you drill to produce hydrocarbons that you then sell for USD. Well, Bitcoin mining, you have an ASIC instead of a well bore. And instead of hydrocarbons, you produce a terahash. And instead of selling that production, that terahash for USD, you're selling it for Bitcoin. And so both industries, you want to be the lowest cost operator to produce either a barrel or produce a Bitcoin, right? So in that regard, they're very similar. Instead of geology, like you have in oil and gas, you're looking regionally for the cheapest price of power or the cheapest source of power, right? So very similar uh, kind of business model and goals in it. Um, as far as how the boom and bust in oil and gas impacts mining and your strategy, um, it does make you have to shift and be nimble enough to recognize, all right, gas prices are exploding, grid opportunities are going to crumble and they're going to crumble fast. If you do not have a fixed price um, for your, for your um, power, if you're at a substation, you're, you're going to get wrecked right now. And so, uh, that's, that's something you got to look for and you got to be able to see the way the market's moving and you got to have a familiarity with how oil and gas markets move in order to time and predict which energy sources you should go after as a Bitcoin miner. So, um, and you got to know what's going to happen in the oil industry. Like we got the high gas prices right now. Well, you need to be able to identify what's the likely areas where there's going to be excess flare and excess flare in a, in a level that I can scale at. And so that's where you might want to focus then on, on where's the most activity going. Um, there's actually programs that can help you identify that. Um, it, it's, you know, I know they're complicated and people, they're somewhat expensive, but um, there are, there are programs that you can tell like where the drilling activity, where rigs are going in and things like that. Uh, because those areas typically are going to, you know, get more drilling. So you're going to have more flares coming online. And so the pipeline capacity becomes a big issue. So then you got to start identifying, all right, where's the most gas at? Where's the most oil at? Where's the most associated gas with that oil going to come from? And just kind of kind of play that, that, that game and figure out, all right, most likely these operators over here are going to have player gas in the levels that I can go build a scalable mine at. And, and they have it at a centralized location. So I think that's, hopefully that answers what you're saying or what you're asking. But it, it's more of just, the cost of energy is going to get impacted by these boom and bust cycles. When there's a bust in oil and gas, you're going to have plentiful opportunities 
to just buy cheap gas from people. We like regionally, you have different prices. That overall uh, Henry Hub natural gas price is over nine dollars right now, um, but that doesn't mean it's over nine dollars everywhere. That there, there can be a lot cheaper in other places, and it can be a lot more expensive in other places. And so, having a good idea of what like the hub pricing for each area will also dictate, you know, hey, I've still got opportunities over here because I can go get a competitive rate of gas, and it's actually cheaper or more expensive. These these operators might make more money by selling it to me versus selling it on the traditional markets. Does All that right. make sense? So we've got about five minutes left. Let's go with D Ant, and then Justin. We're going to let you make some closing comments, and then we'll wrap the show. Go ahead, D. Hey, thanks for taking uh, questions here. Um, I was just curious. Uh, I may have missed it uh, in your intro. Um, just where, what, what part of the process your uh, your margins are in? Like, where where are you making the money? Are you selling? miners to oil companies and then they're running themselves they're going to make the bitcoin or are you buying gas flared gas from them uh and then mining yeah. Bitcoin yourselves yeah right yeah we're self-miners um there's, there's multiple aspects of our business we're self-miners um and we also will host some companies at our site um we've got a few companies out there or a couple companies out there right now and um but we also will work with the energy companies on identifying areas in their portfolio where they have stranded or excess capacity. And that's been kind of an eye-opening part of our business for us and for, for the operators that we work with, because you'd be shocked at how many of them either own private substations where they have locked in power prices that are sub four cents, and they're using maybe 20% of the capacity at that substation. Um, they have opportunities with on with drilling rigs that have excess capacity on them that is not being used but they're being paid they pay for it um compression stations midstream facilities there's all kinds of areas where it's like holy cow we had no idea that we were capable of turning this excess power capacity into a new revenue stream and so that's that's where i think a lot of companies are going to start going to now that they're going to have excess capital coming in revenue stream from from their oil and gas activities that are now very very profitable they can start allocating some of that capital to basically hedging against prices that are eventually going to come down and getting some exposure to bitcoin so yeah we do kind of a litany of things but we work with operators and we self-mine okay awesome and then just a quick follow-up i was just wondering what your kind of kilowatt hour price is like are you kind of around four or five cents as well or is, or is that just for the oil uh, companies uh so you know we're going to have to bid out uh we're going through a bidding process we're working with priority power on uh bidding out those prices uh for the the facilities out there and then you know they act as a almost as a rep and and basically help us kind of take advantage of that ERCOT west hub power market like you have oftentimes even though gas is going crazy right now and there's times where people are paying $400 a megawatt hour on strip pricing out there, it'll also, five minutes later, it could be down sub zero. It could be five, negative $5 a megawatt hour. And so you're actually getting paid to take that energy at the time. So um, that's the world we're living in now because of the gas prices. So you, you're kind of playing a game constantly like, I got to shut my miners down right now because the price goes up and then, you know, take advantage of it when the price goes negative. So um, it's, it's, it changes your econs and it changes your strategy, but you got to stay nimble to, to kind of take advantage of that. So it's kind of a floating number on those sites. 
Okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Thanks for uh, taking the question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ant, and then Justin will get some closing comments from you. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, no, no question here. Just a quick comment. Uh, thanks, Justin, for coming up. I mean, I, I love the conversation. Um, I, I gave the, you know, the clapping hands and, and, the and the, you know, smiling emoji a couple times because some of the things that you said hit home. I mean, I made a comment just a couple of days ago about, you know, when Alex was talking about, you know, going on offense and stuff, you know, I've worked in the oil and gas industry for a long time too. And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people and there's a, the, you're right that, you know, the ESG like uh, group was able to basically gain a lot of ground uh, in oil and gas. And, you know, the, the, the oil and gas side never really fought back. But the question was like, why? And I see the same parallel happening in Bitcoin where, you know, when you're so like certain about facts that you know to be true, you know, and other people are coming at you with essentially nonsense, you know, you, you don't fight against it. You, you dismiss it. And, and that's what happened in my opinion, right. and based on things that, you know, people that I've spoken to in the, in the industry that, you know, they just let the field get away from them a little bit. And I'm seeing, right. you know, we see the same thing here in Bitcoin, you know, and uh, that's why I agree with Alex too. It's important to get, you know, to get on offense. We have to get educated about Bitcoin. And we have to be able to answer questions quickly and, and, you know, effectively so that people can just smash away this FUD, you know. Not, not, even, not just answer the question, not just answer the question, because that's essentially defense. Right. Go on offense, like point out what they're doing that's fucked up. Because usually, usually the people that are making these arguments are doing something that's pretty fucking, you know, questionable. Mm -hmm. Or at least, oh, you yeah. know. It, it, like, you know, it's like it's like saying that Bitcoin wastes electricity or wastes energy, right? I mean, this is a deep, deep conversation. We've talked about this many times. But the bottom line is, is that all human civilization relies upon the basic formation of, of any government is based upon the protection of private property and personal rights, enforcement of contracts. Right. It's the basis of all government functions, right? Scaled up to a large scale. I mean, this costs money. It costs energy. Police are, are not free, right? Judicial systems right. are not free. Governments are not free. I would suggest that the world's largest military, where we spend almost $800 billion a year enforcing the, the, the property rights of the United States, really, right. is a hugely freaking expensive endeavor. And the, the right. thought that, that Bitcoin is a wasted form of energy when it's actually the most fair most secure money that humankind has ever seen is absolutely absurd. I couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, to touch on the ESG thing one more time, I know you guys are running out of time. So I'll be, I'll try to hurry. I know you can probably tell I'm long winded, but you know, we talk about the E from a worldwide standpoint, but we don't want to talk about the S and the social utility and social value of what Bitcoin brings to people around the world. And especially people in poverty that don't have the finances or capability of holding assets that actually protect them against rising hyperinflation. And Bitcoin is one of the only things that they can buy in, in a small scale that helps protect the value that they, that they have been working for. And, you know, you, we talk about Bitcoin being volatile. Go talk to the people in Turkey about what their currency is worth. 
Argentina, yeah. Venezuela, Super. all these places around the world that like I think they, they would exchange the volatility on Bitcoin um, or trade the volatility of Bitcoin for uh, in exchange to get rid of the volatility of their own currency for the country and economic system they live under. So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you guys uh, on all that. But uh, one little plug I did want to throw in there before we have to go. Um, I, I have been over the last year really gotten inundated with a lot of people that want to break into this space. And, and I've, you know, being an attorney by background, I, I decided to open a law practice where I basically can work with people and companies on, on efforts to try to break into the space or even just how to handle some contractual issues. There's not very many kind of Bitcoin focused attorneys out there. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Brandon Martin at Martin legal group. Um, I've, I've, they have contacted me and we're going to be working very closely together with them and on developing uh, some good legal services for Bitcoin miners and, um, and people look in, in, you know, ranchers and other individuals that are just looking to try to get into the space. So um, if you guys do have any questions or need some legal help on that, feel free to reach out to me. And if I can't help you, I'll get you in touch with, with somebody that can. If you guys are listening to this, throw Justin a follow. He's at JLB underscore OSO on, on Twitter. Justin, thanks for hanging out with us today. Um, it's been a really cool conversation. Congratulations on all your wins with J Energy. Uh, this stuff with TPL is fantastic. And I know uh, I know you guys are going to continue to do great. I appreciate what you guys are doing for the ecosystem, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you guys too getting on here. I, I listen almost every week when I can. So um, really appreciate it. And, and good job to everybody on here. And everybody that's on here is part of, part of what's moving Bitcoin forward. So thank you to everybody. So yeah. Justin, I have a, can I ask a quick question? I know we're about to wrap, but are, yeah, you, yeah. are you guys, no, more are you, no, I'm kidding. No more questions. Okay. We got to wrap. Are you Go guys, ahead. I had to, I had to jump off. Are you guys, sounds like you're growing. Are you guys hiring? Not yet, but we will be. I'm in the process of raising some funds and I'm going to build out a much bigger team that is very much needed. Um, I'm, I'm so covered up right now. I feel like a terrible friend and, and I, it takes me like two days to get back to people uh, that email me. So I apologize if I don't get back to people right away. But yes, we are going to be most likely um, once we get our funding situation worked out, be bringing quite a few people on, hopefully. I got those feels. Awesome. I'm tracking. That's Justin, when you start posting those jobs, please put them up on uh, Bitcoinerjobs.com. 100%, man. 100%. All right. Um, and that's the show. Uh, Chris, any announcements from Bitcoin Mag? Yeah, definitely. I'll keep it brief. Uh, Justin, thank you so much. Uh, you should definitely reach out to Joe Carlosari if you haven't already. He's a lawyer uh, by trade as well and loves protecting oh, Bitcoiners. Um, awesome. You, you yeah. can shoot me a DM afterwards and I'll give you his contact information. I'm sure he'd love to link up. Um, yeah, uh, definitely check out Swan Signal Live's episode that aired last night with Brady and Greg Foss and Max Kaiser was a real good one. Uh, I know uh, the team works hard on that, and it was really good. A lot of high-signal stuff. It was a good conversation. Uh, and a uh, survey came out from Block, so Jack Dorsey's company. Uh, the main reason people don't buy Bitcoin is they don't know enough about it. I know we're doing a lot of it here, get on the mission and help people. Um, I guess maybe bring the, uh, the level of intensity down a few notches. We don't need to go taking down the federal bank and uh, you know the formation of the 
World Economic Forum or, you know, the central banks and stuff, but definitely educate people about what Bitcoin is, peer-to-peer digital cash. You know, it prevents being debased by inflation. Uh, I think it's really important. I know I love Greg Foss' method of uh, when he goes to give tips to waiters or waitresses, he'll double the tip if they accept Bitcoin, um, if, he just, if they just download a wallet and explain it to him. And then last thing is we've got Bitcoin Magazine Live. We have Zach Vol. Uh, from Brains coming on to talk about the hash rate in China and how a lot of companies were reporting that China was having 0% hash rate. His op-ed says that that's not true and China was kind of stealthily mining, even though miners were obviously fleeing China back last year. Um, it never went to zero. It was probably hovering somewhere around 5 to 10%, and now it's looking like it's 20 to 21%. Um, so yeah, it was a great op-ed. We're going to be talking to him on Bitcoin Magazine Live, as well as doing news and notes with P&Q. Back to you, Alex. Right on. Okay, so uh, that's the wrap then. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We talk about Bitcoin here, obviously, every day, Monday through Friday. Start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours. The place for your morning news. Also, a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. It's a podcast up on Spotify, Apple. You can throw myself a follow or Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin and Bitcoin Magazine, sponsors of the show. My crew, Aunt Shane Sats for Life, producer Jacob. Thanks again to the to the speakers that stop by here on the regular. Justin, thanks for hanging out with us today. I appreciate and admire what you guys do. Teaching people about this bright orange speaker, that's what we call the mission. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I am your host, Alex Stanzik. I work with Swan Bitcoin. If you want to know about Swan, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. And then finally, get on the mission. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day today. Crush it. Crush it.